Genesis 39, Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 20. Let's remember those among us who are ill, who are sick. Uh, Dr. Foster and Linda are home ill, and there are others that I can't even remember right now. They've been sick, and some of you uh, some of you have been sick. Carl and Dolores were sick. They're here today. Uh, so be careful and uh, always be looking to the Lord. Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in his sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he, Joseph, was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with Joseph, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper." May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord and you may be seated. Now in the last few studies regarding the patriarch Joseph, this is our 22nd study today and the underlying theme of today's study and probably for the next couple of weeks because I think this is very, very important. So I hope you won't miss any of these studies the power of promises, or I might call it the secret power of promises. In the last few studies of this patriarch Joseph, we have learned something of what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans 11 and verse 33. And this, this is what he says in Romans 11:33. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Let me translate that for you. How great and rich are the ways of God, how deep is his wisdom and knowledge, his judgments are unsearchable, who can explain them, his ways past finding out who can understand them. That's what that means. Now here's the first lesson for you today. Lesson number one. I got four lessons for you today if I can get through them. If I don't, we'll just take it up next week. Lesson number one. To every event, there are secondary reasons And there is a primary reason. To every event that has transpired in your life, no matter how insignificant, how trivial, or how important, there are secondary reasons for that event, and there is a primary reason for that event. I've already touched on some of this in the last few, so this won't be uh, new to you. Think of all the secondary reasons Joseph is in prison. He's in prison for doing right. He's in prison because of a slanderous lie told because he did right. He is in prison because of the slanderer himself, the devil, who inspired the lie. 
He is in prison because his master believed the lie when he had absolutely no reason to do so. He knew, Potiphar knew, that Joseph was a good and faithful man who will not lie. But there are more secondary reasons. Joseph would never have been seen, much less known, by the wife of Potiphar had not her husband bought him off of a slave market from some Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites could not have sold him to Potiphar if they hadn't bought him from the brothers of Joseph. And they could not have bought him from the brothers of Joseph, the sons of Jacob, if they hadn't taken a certain road to Egypt at the exact time that they did. And on and on and on it goes. One might say if Joseph had not been born... He could not have gotten into trouble, the trouble that he is in now. Have you ever had that thought? Job said, I wish I'd never been born. <laughs> you see, if I hadn't been here, if that happened, happened, didn't happen. You know, when my mother died, my mom was only 67 years old when she passed away. She got sick that afternoon about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And about 2 o'clock that morning, she was gone. I, w- I went into her room And she had no blood pressure at all. The doctor said, I don't understand it. She has absolutely no blood pressure. But she was talking to me just like I'm talking to you right now. And at 2 o'clock she was gone. And I, you know, I started thinking of all the secondary causes of her her death. Because uh, she was about, oh, 65 or 70 miles uh, north of Atlanta, Georgia. And if they had taken her in that direction to Gainesville, there was a much larger hospital and more equipment and all of that, probably she would have survived, but they didn't. They took her the other direction to a small town that had a little, uh, not much more than a house for a hospital. And uh, all of those, and I thought about this, what about if this, and if that, if that. And I know all of you have had situations in your life, and you think, well, if I hadn't done that, or if she hadn't done that, or if that hadn't happened, if that. Those are all secondary causes. And I want you to know that every event, every event in your life has secondary causes, but it has a primary cause. And it's the same thing here with Joseph. The, the fact is... He was born, and he was born when he was born, and he was born where he was born, and he was born into a certain family at a certain time, and so were you, and so was I. In other words, all of this was the will of God. And that brings us to the primary reason behind Joseph's imprisonment, the plan, the purpose and the sovereign will of God, that's the primary reason why he is in prison. That's the primary reason. So lesson number one, to every event, there are secondary reasons and there is a primary reason. Now I've got some good news for you if you'll hang in with me. As the mother of Samuel the prophet said, remember Samuel the prophet, his mother was named Hannah. You remember Hannah couldn't have any children. And she was always sad when they'd go up to Jerusalem to worship. And she went into the temple and she prayed. 
And while she prayed, her soul was in agony, and she was rocking back and forth while she was praying. And the old priest, Eli, saw and thought she was drinking. And he rebuked her and said, don't come into the temple drinking. And she said, no, no, I'm not drinking. She said, my soul is drunk with agony. I was asking God for a son, and I told him that if he'd give me a son, I'd give him back to him. And then Eli said, may the Lord grant your request, my sister. And so she came up with a child, and she had a child. Is is that the front door open? Somebody's back there trying to get open. Let's make sure somebody's letting them in back there. She had a child, and after she had this child, she gives this famous prayer of praise to the Lord. And I'm going to read it to you. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, begins in verse 6. The Lord killeth. There it is on the board for you. The Lord killeth, and the Lord maketh alive. The Lord bringeth down to the grave, and the Lord bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor, and the Lord maketh rich. He brings low, and he lifts up. He raises up the poor out of the dust. He lives, lifts up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. How can he do it? For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world upon him. That's an old way of saying this is God's world. He's in charge of it. And he can do what he wants to in his world. Number, verse number 9. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. Verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. Watch this now. And he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now let's keep that verse up there on the board for a moment. That word anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach. And is the first time, this is the first time in all of the word of God that this word Mashiach is used. And that's the word for Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one. First place, first place in the Bible, right here, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. Now, since when these, these words were uttered, since this was before Israel ever had a king, we should read this as a prophecy regarding Jesus, whom we know to be the Messiah. Now, when you have time, you read the prayer, the, I should call it the praise prayer of Mary, the mother of our Lord, which is found in the first chapter of Luke. And you will find remarkable similarities between the prayer of Hannah and the prayer of Mary. Both of them are about the Hamashiach, the Mashiach, the Messiah. So that's lesson number one. Behind every event, there are secondary reasons, and there is a primary reason. All right, here's lesson number two. We must walk by faith and not by sight. If we have a word from the Lord, and we do, 
We got 66 books. If we have a word from the Lord, we must live our lives trusting him and believing his word. Now look, when Joseph was 17 years old, the Lord sent a word to him in the form of a dream. The Lord spoke to Joseph and he told him that he had a bright future. He told him that he was going to be exalted to such a position that men would bow down to him, including his entire family. But the details were in what he was not told. He was not told all the details of his journey on the way to that exalted position. He was not told that his brothers would sell him into slavery. He was not told that he would be taken into a foreign land, Egypt, the land of the pharaohs. He was not told that he would be sold a second time to an officer of the pharaoh, a man named Potiphar, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, who was a sun worshiper. He was not told that his reward for doing right would be prison. Now I ask you, how did he survive much less thrive in all of these things. But here's the key to it. Here's the secret. He walked by faith, believing the word of promise. Listen to me now. Don't forget this. You're going to forget this in the future if you don't remember it. The Bible for the word for the people of God, to the world in general, but especially for the people of God, the Bible is a book of promises. A book of promises. He was told, Joseph was not told a lot of things, but he was told that he would have an exalted position and he knew that God would get him there by hook or by crook. And Joseph knew that the Lord was in all of these events from the selling uh, into slavery by his brothers, to the selling of Potiphar, to the temptation by Potiphar's wife, put in prison, which is what we just read in Genesis 39, 20, through the end of the chapter. He knew, he knew in his soul that the Lord was in it all because of the word that had been spoken to him about his future when he was 17 years old, a future that was as certain as night and day. Now, we, the readers of the story, we are assured that the Lord was in it all. Look in Genesis 39. If you look at, well, we've already covered these verses, but if you look at verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. This is after it told, is to, we're told that um, Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites. The Lord was with Joseph, verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. This heathen sun worshiper saw that the Lord was with him and that he made all that he did to prosper. Verse 5, it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Look at verse 21, verse 21. But the Lord, here's Joseph, now he's in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. He's with him in prison. 
and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph, and that when she did, the Lord made it to prosper. If you had been a bystander watching the life of Joseph, you know what I've said? This guy is some kind of wicked fellow because nothing good ever happens to him. One thing after another befalls him. He's some kind of wicked guy. He might appear to be something in public, but that's not what he really is. Guess what? That's exactly what they said about our Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what they said about him. It's in the Gospels. They said that because of his uh, beating, his ignominious death, people hated him, people scoffed him. Even when he died, they made fun of him, wagging their head. He that saved others, he can't save himself. Let him come down off the cross if he's the king of Israel. They said, this guy is some kind of wicked man. Read it, it's in Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to look at Isaiah 53 in just a moment. How did Joseph survive, much less thrive? He walked by faith, believing the word of promise that had been given to him when he was 17 years old. I think it's very clear that Joseph walked in faith. He believed the word of the Lord. By faith, he acknowledged the Lord. And guess what? The Lord directed him, and the Lord prospered him. And that's what Solomon said, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. All right, here's lesson three. Here's lesson three. Lesson one, to every event, the primary and secondary causes. Lesson two, we have to walk by faith. Lesson three. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, please. We'll come back to Genesis a little later on. Hebrews chapter 11. Here's the third lesson. The Lord does not usually deliver all of His children from all of their hardships. But when He does, when He does, He usually does not deliver them immediately, but over time using the natural actions and reactions of men, both good men and wicked men. Now, I want you to hear that again, because, folks, we, have, we are being told in this, in this generation, we're being told that if we are walking with the Lord, nothing much bad's going to ever happen to us. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's not true. In fact, you might have more bad things happen to you because you're walking with the Lord than when you didn't. And that's, that's just not true. So what I want to say to you, let me repeat that. The Lord doesn't usually, doesn't usually, according to the record given us in Scripture, deliver all of His children from all of their hardships. Now, He didn't deliver, he didn't deliver Joseph from all his hardships. Joseph has got this goal up here. You're going to have an exalted position. People are going to bow down to you, even your own family. 
His, his brothers hated him and were jealous of him. They were envious of him. They sold him. The brothers of Jesus, the family of Jesus, and the Jewish family of Jesus were all jealous of him. In fact, the Bible says that uh, Herod or Pilate knew that for envy they had turned Jesus over to them, to the Roman authorities. So the Lord doesn't usually deliver all of his children from their hardships, but when he does deliver them, he usually doesn't deliver them immediately. But he does it over time. Perhaps one reason is, as I'm going to tell you in the future lessons, that they might learn to trust him in adverse conditions and that others might see that you can't deter a child of God by putting hardships on him or on her. I've told you before, I believe the theme of the book of Job. Very few people served, uh, have, have undergone uh, the trials that Job underwent. But I believe one of the themes of the book of Job is that God's people will serve him, will look to him, will trust him, regardless of the consequences, regardless of punishment or promise of reward. He is enough. If we have him, we have our reward. What more could we want than to have our Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior? The Lord only delivered one man from the lions. That was Daniel. Now, if you don't have a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs, get you a copy. If you can't find a copy, let me know and I'll get you a copy. And you'll find in Fox's Book of Martyrs, which begins back in the time of the disciples, the apostles, that hundreds if not thousands of Christians were devoured by lions under the Roman government. They were not delivered from the lions like Daniel was. But they died trusting in the Lord. The Lord only delivered three men from the fire. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many, many, many Christians have been burned at the stake. The Lord did not deliver them like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this kind of thing is made very clear in Hebrews chapter 11. We've looked at this several times in the last few months. But this is the chapter of the so-called heroes of faith. And it begins with a definition of faith, verse 1. The faith is the substance to the believer. It's the substance of the things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't want to confuse you, but I do want to tell you just a little bit, give you a little example of what that might mean. We say we are saved. I know all of you have heard that terminology. Are you saved, brother? (laughs) We say we are saved. Listen now. That saved really will not take place until the great day of judgment. But I'm saved. I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in believing His Word that He will save those who believe His Word and believe on His Son. And the New Testament speaks in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense of salvation. I have been saved. I am being saved. I shall be saved. 
And my salvation is as certain as the Savior is sitting in heaven at the right hand of God to make intercession for all of those who come unto God by Him. So I'm saved. But I'm saved by believing God. And this is what this means in verse 1. Faith is the substance. If I have saving faith, it's the same thing as having the substance in my heart, in my soul, because I believe God. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. So this chapter tells us about all of these heroes of faith, just very quickly now. Verse 4, it mentions Abel offering a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, it mentions Enoch who, who walked with God. Verse 7, it mentions Noah who by faith was warned of things not seen, moved with fear, believed God, and prepared an ark. Verse 8, it mentions Abraham, what he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance. By faith, he obeyed. He didn't see anything. He just believed God. And then he talks about Isaac and Jacob in verse 9. Sarah in verse 11 goes all the way down, goes back to Abraham again. And Isaac in verse 17 Jacob, down in verse 20. Who's missing in this heroes of faith? Joseph. <laughs> Joseph is the only patriarch in the Old Testament that is not even mentioned in the New Testament. And without a doubt, in my mind, he is the greatest example of faith. Great example. He's a type of the Messiah. He's the most nearly perfect type of the Messiah of any of the people in the Old Testament. You hardly read anything negative about Joseph. But look at the end of this chapter. At the end of the chapter. Go down now to verse 35. Verse 35. All these people believed God and they had glorious and wonderful deliverances. But when you get to 30, verse 35, it says... Women receive their dead, raised to life again, and then it begins right here, and others. So this chapter has two divisions. It's had all these heroes of faith, and it has part two, the others. And others were tortured. Others did not accept deliverance. In other words, they said, look, you, you just forget what you've confessed, and we're going to let you off of this. We're not going to burn you up on the stake. We're not going to throw you to the lions. All you got to do is just forget all of this stuff. And they said, no. Others, verse 36, had trial of cruel mockings. Others were scourged, that is, they were beaten. Others were in bonds, that is, chains. Others were in prison, they were put in prison. Others, verse 37, were stoned to death. Others were sawn in two. Sawn in two. Others were tempted, were slain with the sword. Others wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, being afflicted, didn't have a place to live, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have adequate food, had to live in dens and caves of the earth. Verse 38. But notice verse 39, they all obtained a good report through faith 
even though they didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. That's what it says in verse 39. Even though they didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, they believed the promise and they lived their lives accordingly, walking by faith on the Word of God. Now turn to Psalm 105. If if you're not familiar with your Bible, if you just open your Bible right in the middle, you'll be close to the Psalms. The Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. And see if you can find Psalm 105. And if you need to look in the index at the beginning of the Bible, that's okay. Just take your time and look at uh, Psalm 105. Find it. And then I'm going to tell you a couple of things from Psalm 105 about Joseph. As for Joseph, through all the hardships, he has remembered and he has believed the word that was given him from the Lord when he was 17 years old. And nothing and nobody could dissuade him from the conviction that what God had promised would be brought to pass. Now, my friends, listen, trouble and hardships do not mean the Lord has abandoned us. And certainly the story of Jesus And the story of Joseph should tell us that. Do you doubt that God would allow one of his sons, and I have Joseph in mind here, his faithful and obedient son to go through a bunch of hardships? Do you deny? deny? Many people read things like that and say, I don't think God had anything to do with it. Well, listen to it from Psalm 105, beginning in verse 16. 105, verse 16. He, that's God, called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. That was through that famine, they couldn't raise crops and have bread. God brought the famine, and he ordered it as a man would order a servant to do something. That's what the Hebrew said. Just like when Jesus stood up in that boat and rebuked the wind and the waves and says that the wind quit blowing and the waves went down like an obedient servant. Here God commands. Verse 17, He, God, sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. It says God sent him. And it says He sent him by means of His jealous and His wicked brothers who sold him like a piece of meat. And he sent him to the house of Potiphar, who sent him to prison. What's verse 18? Whose feet they hurt with fetters, that's chains. He was laid in iron, that is, he had an iron collar around his neck. Some of you have seen uh, some of the old uh, uh, historical documentaries on uh, public television. When they show these slave ships, and they show these slaves in the belly of the ship, and they've got these iron collars around their neck, and they've got iron on their feet, that's the way Joseph was. That's the way he was. And it says that God allowed misguided, wicked, and ignorant men to imprison Joseph for doing right. Now look at verse 19. Verse 19. He was in prison. He was, had this mistreatment until the time 
that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. In other words, Joseph was in prison until the exact time God ordained to bring his promise to pass concerning Joseph. And all that came to pass to exalt him to fulfill the word of God, he left him in prison until that time. Now, I don't know what translation you have, but this translation uses the word tried. The word of the Lord tried him. Okay, that is the Hebrew word saraf, and it means to refine, it means to test. It refers to the process by which gold and other precious metals are purified. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, every single child of God, including God's only begotten Son, goes through the valley of testing. Our Savior went through the valley of testing. Now, if you want to turn, I think they'll probably have this on the board for you, but it's found in Hebrews chapter seven, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. This is what we read. Who in the days of his flesh, reading about Jesus now, our Savior, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things whence he suffered. And being he learned what it was as a man to obey under adverse circumstances, and being made perfect, that means being made complete, going through everything God had ordained for him to show that he was indeed the Messiah. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now what this verse says, these verses, verses 7 through 9, it says that in his earthly life, Jesus made prayers and requests with tears to God his Father, who could save him from death, and he was heard ultimately because he was perfectly devoted to his Father's glory and his Father's will. But even though he was the only begotten Son of God by nature, he learned obedience as a man does through his sufferings. That's amazing. So remember this third lesson. God does not deliver all of his children, and when he does, he doesn't just deliver them always instantaneously. He delivers them usually through a process. All right, here's lesson four, which is where I wanted to get to, and I hope I can complete the thoughts I have for you today. Lesson four is we need to learn the secret of the power of promises. The secret of the power of promises. Theologians have estimated that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000 promises in the written Word of God. And we are to live our lives standing on these promises. And I'm wondering if any of you have utilized any of them today. If you want to be victorious, 
If you want to be able to face any trial, if you want to be able to go through anything, we've, you've got to learn, I've got to learn, to stand on the Word of God, to stand on the promises, to believe those promises, regardless of what transpires. Knowing this, here's one of them, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, do you love God? If so, you have been called. If you have been called, you have been called on purpose. All things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, listen. All things in your life may not be good. (laughs) I'm not saying that everything in your life is good. Some of you have suffered heartache. Some of you have suffered problems with your body. You've had maybe unfaithful friends, unfaithful family. You've had problems that are common to man. But I'm not saying everything in your life is good. I'm saying that the Lord, when you trust Him and stand on His promises, He can make all these things work together for good. This is a promise to you. And the question is, do we believe this promise? Can we stand in faith on this promise? I hope you got your your pew seats on there so you won't fall out. If so, if so, we can be thankful for everything that comes our way. I'm going to prove this to you in just a moment. Remember this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We're not thankful for wickedness. We're not thankful for things that hurt us. But, but we need to learn to understand that we can give thanks to God even for adverse things, even for enemies, even for trials, even for troubles. We can be thankful because we have the promise that it's all going to work out for our good and His glory. Now, Jesus... Not Jesus, Joseph. Joseph believed this, and he was able to thank the Lord even for the betrayal of his brothers. Now, you don't have to turn back here. I'll tell you where it is. In the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, just before the book of Genesis ends, and Joseph is huddled there with his brothers, and his father, Jacob, has died. And his brothers are scared to death that Joseph, now that their father is dead, they're scared to death that Joseph's going to bring judgment on them. Okay, daddy's gone now, so he's going to get us. And they came to Joseph, you know, oh, they were humble then. Remember when he had that dream? I said, we'll never bow to you. No. And they sold him because they were jealous in it. And now they, they bow, they've had to bow to him. And now that dad is dead, Oh, Joseph's going to get us now. So they came and they said, we're sorry for everything we did. We are your servants. Have mercy on us. And Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Listen to this statement. I read it directly from Scripture. Genesis chapter 50, showing you that Joseph could be thankful even for the betrayal of his brothers. Genesis 50 verse 20 
As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day in saving many people alive. Joseph understood that the betrayal of his brothers was bad. It was wicked. It was evil. But God was in it to make it work out for good. And if God had moved Joseph into Egypt by means of his wicked brothers, the entire family of Israel would have been starved out and they would have died in the famine. And the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all those promises would be null and void. You see, the things in our lives may not be good. (laughs) But if we're walking in faith, believing Him, He'll make them work for our good. Now let's go a little further. Turn in your Bibles to John 14, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm doing this on purpose because I want you to actually see some of these passages. I can quote them to you, but I want you to see them. Let's go a little further. We've been given a word of promise from our Savior regarding our future. Joseph was given a dream when he was 17 years old regarding his future. You got that? God spoke to him and said, you've got a bright future ahead of you. You're going to be in an exalted position. Men are going to have to bow down to you. They're not going to be able to get any food or anything without your permission. But God didn't tell him what was going to befall him on the way to that exalted position. Now look, you have been given a promise if you're a believer. I have been given a promise that our future is bright. We're going to be in heaven with our Savior. And we're going to be in heaven forever with our Savior. We've got a bright future. But we don't know what's going to befall us between now and then. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We're going to have to go through some trials and troubles, even go through the death the death gate. Nobody gets out of this world unless they go through the death gate. The only thing that can save you from the death gate would be the second coming of Christ. Don't be like the woman, you know, she, she was a big believer in the rapture, and I'm not putting down the rapture. I'll tell you my view sometimes about it. But she said, you know what I'm doing? And she said, I think the rapture's coming real soon, so I'm going around charging everything. <laughs> That way if I charge it all, man, when I'm taken out of here, well, you know, hey, that's not the idea to have. I wouldn't advise that. Because you don't know when the Lord might take you out. <laughs> he might take you out before he comes again. But we've been, given, uh, we've been given a word from God in his written word that we have a bright future. But we don't know what's going to transpire between the time we believe God and the time we are with God in heaven. So here in John chapter 14, you've heard these passages many times. Let not your heart be troubled. The Lord Jesus now is comforting his disciples because he's told them that he's going to be going away. And they're troubled because they don't know what in the world they're going to do without him. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go 
to prepare a place for you. That's why I'm leaving. I'm going to finish the work given me, and then I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, here's the promise we have from it. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, we're going to stop there for just a moment. This is a promise from Jesus to all who believe him, who believe in him and who believe him. We have a place prepared for us in heaven. And our place in heaven will be where Jesus, our Savior, is. And he has promised, I will come and take us. Jesus will come again, and he will take us to that place in heaven. And he says that, that he himself, Jesus himself, is the way to heaven. He's the way to the place that he's prepared for us to heaven. He's the way to heaven. He's the truth of heaven. And he's the life which is in heaven. Now, this is another way of saying that Jesus himself is eternal life. Now, listen to this in 1 John. This is the record that God has given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Eternal life is in Jesus. He is eternal life. Therefore, he that has the Son has eternal life, and he that has not the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13, these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. Eternal life is a person. I'll say something about that in just a moment. In his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now listen to this, John 17, verse 3. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, Jesus says that eternal life means to know the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, I want you to stay in John 14. This word to know is gnosko. It means to become acquainted with. It means to get to know. It means to understand. It means to perceive. So listen to me. God possesses eternal life, or more correctly, God is eternal life. Therefore, to have God is to have eternal life. Now, the fact that God is joined to Jesus Christ, this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, the fact that God is joined to Jesus Christ indicates several things for us. Number one, since God is spirit, 
John chapter 4, verse 24, since God is spirit, not only can he not be seen or found out, he cannot be known. But when we see God joined with Jesus Christ by the little conjunction and, A-N-D, this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and conjunction, Jesus Christ. When, when God and Jesus Christ are joined together, that shows equality between the two of them. Now, since Jesus is a man, yet he's equal to God, God can be known through Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ is the revelation of the invisible God in the form of a man. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. He was in the form of God, but he took the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. So back to John 14. I hope you still have your Bibles open to John chapter 14. Remember what Jesus said to Philip, John 14, verse 6. Verse 7, uh, Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from here on, from henceforth, you know him and you've seen him. Now Philip says, verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. That's what it sufficeth us means. It will satisfy us. Notice what Jesus said. Have I been so long time with you and you have not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What is he saying here? He's saying that the Son is the manifestation of the Father. To see the Son is to see the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. To trust the Son is to trust the Father. Thus, the Son is eternal life with the Father. You understand that? Eternal life is a person. This is the only place... John 17, verse 3, this is the only place where our Savior identifies himself with this compound name, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation, and Christ is Christos, which means the anointed one, the Messiah. So Jesus Christ is the anointed one who is Jehovah, our salvation, manifested in the flesh. He is our salvation. He is the salvation of Jehovah. And Jehovah, God, Yahweh, can only be known through Jesus Christ. So let me conclude today, giving you a lot of information. Let me conclude by making some observations for you. Remember now, the, the foundation is Joseph was sustained in all that he went through by believing the Word of God. You're going to be sustained in all you're going to go through by believing the Word of God. 
You don't know what lies ahead. But you have promises, and you need to learn those promises, memorize those promises. If you read the Bible every day, you won't read very far, and you'll come into a promise. And you need to claim the promise. You need to believe the promise. You need to write it down. Make you a, a book of promises. And claim those and stand on them. So here are some observations. Number one, eternal life, as I've already said twice, is not merely unending existence, but it's an unending relationship with the Lord. It's not just living forever. There are going to be, according to the Bible, the hell was made for the devil and his angels, and they're going to be around forever. They're going to have as much eternal eternality as those in heaven. But eternal life is not just unending existence. It's an unending relationship with the Lord through believing His Word. Number two, we come into this relationship through faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the promised Savior. Number three, like Joseph, we are promised that all things will work together for our good. All things, I believe in my soul that when Joseph was in that prison, when he was in there and had these problems in that uh, pit that his brothers put him in before they sold him, I believe that at some point he went back and he believed that word from God that was given to him when he was 17 years old, and the rest of his life he lived in light of that word. He lived in light of that word. And when he died, if you go back and read Genesis chapter 50, when he died, he called those who were left of his brothers. He lived to be 110 years old. And he called those who were left of his family back in there, and he said, listen, God will surely deliver you from Egypt. How did he know that? Because he knew about the promise God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And he said, when you leave, take my bones with you. And they did. They embalmed him. And when they left, after 430 years in Egypt, 430 years. United States, we've been a, a country. We, we, we date it back to the Declaration of Independence and all that. We've been a country, what, 1976 was our 200th anniversary. They were in Egypt 450 years. The Lord's Wheels of providence don't move very quickly, but they move very certainly. They will be moving, and they will accomplish what God has planned. So number three, all things work together for our good. We've got that. Number four, like Joseph, we must learn that it is the will of God for us to give the Lord thanks in all things. He was even thankful. He made that known for the betrayal of his brothers because the Lord made it work out for good. Number five, like Joseph, we are not told what will occur on our way to the eternal future. Number six, what Joseph had in germ form, we have in fullness. Joseph lived many centuries before the Messiah came. We live after the Messiah has come and has been resurrected and ascended into heaven. 
And we have certain promises directly from the mouth of the incarnated, that is, in the flesh, Messiah. And these include, we have a promise of salvation, and we have promises of victory when we believe His Word. We are not only to believe on Him to be saved, we are to believe His promises to live in victory while we're in this world. By believing His promises, we can have a little heaven on the way to heaven. And this is the secret of the power of the promises given us. A friend of mine wrote this song. Maybe we can sing it for you in a week or two. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness he giveth a song. I cannot see through the shadows ahead, so I'll look at the cross of my Savior instead. I bow to the will of the Master each day, then peace comes and tears fly away. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and he purges them in love. My father knows best. I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit will I bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knows the end of his path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. That's right out of the Scripture, right out of the Word of God. When I'm tried and purified, I'll come forth as gold. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his Word. Let's stand together. Hope you get something out of this, the secret of the promises of God, the Word of God, in the form of promises. And you know, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the end of all the promises. He's the end of all the promises. All the promises have to do, have to do with Him. With Him coming into the world, with Him doing what He had to do to satisfy the law, with Him taking all that He took for our sakes, being buried in our place, resurrected in our place, ascended into heaven there to pray for us and to await the time when God the Almighty has chosen for us to go to Him. The Bible says that in Jesus all the promises are yes and amen. Yea and amen. Learn those promises. Learn them today. Memorize them today. Use them when you talk to the Lord. I've memorized that Psalm 91 I told you about. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Learn that Psalm. 
Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. You got all this pestilence today. The word pestilence is the word that we're having now for pandemic. <laughs> Claim the promises. Walk with God. Do what you can do. Wash your hands. Stay out of people.